I grieved the loss of my career like a loved one. Mm. And that was that was hard. And there's there's a lot of change that comes with that. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. How does the way a sport is introduced early on define an athlete's relationship to it throughout a career? Maybe your parents sign you up for sports just to keep you physically active. Sports get you out of the house. It's what everyone else is doing, has done. And hey, they'll no doubt teach a child a thing or two about teamwork and discipline along the way. Or maybe your parents and your parents' parents were all Americans. Pursuing excellence in sport is a family tradition of sorts. There are a lot of things that help shape our relationship to sport over time, whether that's environmental factors like coaches or just the natural shifts of personal interests. But the way sport is framed to us as young athletes and reinforced as we grow up playing is important. It helps outline the role that sport goes on to have in a life, how an athlete approaches the game every time they suit up, and how, eventually, the athlete leaves it or doesn't leave it behind. So what happens when your sport is viewed as being a gift from a higher power? That's how it's introduced. That's what's taught. What does it mean to be a part of a whole community of people who have bought into that idea? For when you're an athlete tearing it up on the field, and further, for when you decide to hang up your shoes. It's part of our culture. We talk about it as a gift from the creator. And so when you play, there's really only, um, there's no rules, so to speak, but the rules that you, or the values that you play under is that you play as hard as you can you do your best and you respect your opponents right and that's really the only rules <laughs> you know so as far as like you know hitting each other and all those kind of things like you didn't try to kill the person right but you played as hard as you could to try to win the game you know so you bumped them you hit them you we still play the traditional game uh ceremonial every year in Onondaga. Neil Paulus was born and raised in the Onondaga Nation near Syracuse, New York. It's pretty interesting because you have a very small community, um, thousands of people, a pretty small area. So there's the cross year around here, uh, but it is part of the culture, right? Because it's that gift and because of that ceremony. The Onondaga are one of the original five constituent nations of the Iroquois Confederacy. There are four other nations, the Mohawk, Oneida, Cayuga, and Seneca. Amongst the five, the Onondaga are the most centrally located, and because of their geographic position, the community is considered the, quote, keepers of fire. Historically, the League of the Iroquois met at Onondaga's capital. The traditional chiefs still do that today. So, the Onondaga are special in those ways, but they're also special when it comes to lacrosse. 
So when we play against other communities, and we might play against communities that have 10, 15,000 in their communities, and, you know, so they outnumber us 10, 12 to 1, and we compete and often win. And they often fight to, to, to get some of our players from our community to their team. I was talking to an elder from another, not an <laughs> he get mad if I called him an elder, <laughs> and he was talking about um, how he always really looked up to and this is a man from another community he looked up to the players in onondaga even as he was competing against them because he said there was something different about them and there's a spirit that we bring into our games and how we play and it's through that ceremonial spiritual connection how we play why we play and because we play rough we play tough but there's also a finesse and a beauty to the way that we play This mentality in this unique lax hub was central in developing Paulus into the lacrosse star he would go on to be. I was just playing in the backyard, you know, and I I used to think about my brother and he moved away to Vancouver when I was a kid. I was four years old and I could only imagine how big of the crowd he was playing in front of to leave Onondaga where they were playing in front of three, four thousand people. The only thing I could imagine leaving home for would be to be playing for a bigger crowd. So I imagined this ginormous crowd and all these people screaming and yelling. So then I was just imagining to be that and scoring the game-winning goal. That was all it was in my backyard. I had no idea I would be pro at the time. I had no understanding that that was even a pro league being developed in Philadelphia. I had no understanding or concept of that until I got to high school and was going to college. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, there's... There's something there. And still, I knew, well, those are the best of the best. I'd have to work really hard to get there. And I got drafted and uh, played seven seasons over nine years. Yeah. Yeah. And ended up playing 16 years with Iroquois Nationals. A lot came with playing internationally, both for Paulus as an individual and also the Iroquois as a community. Lacrosse, the creator's gift, became a mechanism through which Paulus and his teammates could show others what North American indigenous people were all about, their genesis, values, and culture. That was, that was pretty important for my development as a, as a person, as a human, to travel the world. You know, So the sport really means a lot. And, and, and with Iroquois Nationals, we become ambassadors of not just the sport, but of its origins, of the culture, of indigenous culture. So I grew up with uh, traditional leadership in my family, in my household. I grew up with the stories and understanding the ceremonies. I grew up with uh, all of those things as part of my daily life. And so we would go on these trips and I ended up being a spokesperson for the team, for the community, for the culture, for the people. The national anthem that Iroquois Nationals plays right now, I'm singing back up on. <laughs> so to answer the question, how does it fit to, to my upbringing? It was everything about my upbringing. It's all about my culture. It's all about my heritage. And it's ingrained in who I am. Yeah. And it still is part of who I am. Yeah. You know, so I still play. I still, you know, I still compete at 44. I still play in leagues. Now, just because Lax was talked about and understood in a very different way for Paulus than sports are to most athletes, doesn't mean that he didn't experience the effects athletic success can have on one's sense of self. And that's really in both the good and the bad ways. 
good. We're talking about the fact that, I don't know, this is a person of color who went off to a school called Nazareth College, by the way, that is about three quarters white. He's from a marginalized community because American history plays a sport that, despite its origins, is extremely white. Guys, lacrosse is so freaking white. I was looking at these stats from the NCAA the other day, and it shows lacrosse being the whitest male sport among football, baseball, ice hockey, soccer. And that's in 2018, by the way. I bring this all up to make a point that, yeah, being a badass lacrosse player was a great thing for Paulus in considering his identity as a whole. I walked into a room and people knew me and, and especially Native communities. And it was it was a great feeling. And I had tied right or wrong. I had tied a lot of things to it in high school. I started to recognize and think to myself, oh, look, oh, that person's pretty popular. or That person's, you know, I would like to be like that, you know. And I thought, oh, but I'm not talkative enough or I'm not this enough or I'm not enough of that. And all I really had was my sport. So I was like, well, I guess I better be good at my sport. And maybe that will make me popular. And in my head, my success, my popularity, my ability to communicate with other people was very heavily tied to my success on the field. And I had one teammate in college when I was on my recruit trip. He actually said that. He said, the better you do on the field, the more popular you'll be. And it it, it actually happened, you know. So... um a lot of what I, who I become had, had been very heavily tied to my success. Uh, and, and, and that didn't change when I became a professional. But yes, of course, also his success came with the bad, thinking about the perils of an inflated ego. No, there's negatives to it too, you know, because, you know, you, you're, you get a false sense of who you are as well. Um, and I, you know, would, would be lying if I didn't say I, I can't acknowledge that it did give me a, uh, an odd understanding of the world for a while. And as a father now of kids, my, my um, oh, I have one son with epilepsy. My daughter doesn't play. She's the oldest. And so the, the 15-year-old, he just decided last year he wasn't going to play lacrosse anymore. You know, so he's focused on cross country. And I was like, good, good for you. Go on your own journey. And I have my friends saying, did you cry? Does it hurt? And I'm like, no, I'm good with it. He chose what he wants, what he wants to love. He is choosing his path. That makes me so much happier. I'd rather have him choose his own path than choose my path and then maybe end up being good and going down the same road that I went. And there was some hard life lessons that I had to learn in that space that I don't wish on other people. I value my experience, I cherish my time, but I also kind of skewed my understanding of the world for, you know, um, pretty to the core of who I was. So that was that was definitely good with it, but that was also some negative things that came with it. Paula said goodbye to professional lacrosse in 2007. Serious health issues brought about the end of his career. I wish I got to walk away from professional under my own terms. Um, I, I was forced into retirement. Um, I fate or not, um, I ended up with a pretty serious lung disorder. I still get to have a cough and issue with, with coughing. But um, I, I was forced, you know, so that last year 
of, of competitive, com- competitive play and professional. I played in the world championship. We lost by two. Even though he was struggling, he kept trying to fight to play the sport that meant so much to him. But I didn't let that sit with me too long. And because I thought, well, I'll get another chance next year with the team. And I did the summer and we almost made it to the Man Cup. Lost in game seven, going to the finals in the regional. And so I was like, you know, on the cusp of these championships, like I could taste it. I could feel it. I could see it, you know. But finally, he had to acknowledge that there was something seriously wrong. And by the time tryouts came around, <clears throat> I couldn't run. And uh, they just said, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but you know, go to the doctor, get it checked out. And uh, that was it. That was the end of my career. Not long after retiring, he undergoes pulmonary surgery to see if they can fix what's going on with his lungs. And they finally they did a lung biopsy, and I... Um, had complications in the lung surgery and uh, I had the spirits come to take me away and I talked them out of it. He almost dies on the table. That, needless to say, really shakes him up. So I, I remember that moment, right, that afterlife moment that people talk about. And I told them that I had more to do and that I, I, was, I wasn't done and that was things that I wasn't living up to that I knew that I had to change. And part of that was some of these negative things that I experienced through pro sports and all that stuff. And I was conducting myself that I knew that I had to change my behavior. And uh, I was given a second chance. A second chance that wasn't even supposed to be very long. After that surgery, the diagnosis I was given was seven, they said three to five years I'd need an oxygen tank. And seven to ten years I'd pass away. That was 11 years ago. And uh, it's, it's been the change that has changed me, but I also changed my, my upbringing, my personality, my values, you know. It was, a, it was a return to those original values that I learned with the game, that I learned with my culture, right, that, that taught me how to live, that I had forgotten by, by getting caught up in the, in the professional part of the sport. Right, the um, notoriety and the celebrity and the, all those other things that come with that, right? Um, that I had forgotten who I was uh, and how to treat other people. Yeah. So I had to look in the mirror, you know, and, and I didn't like what I saw. And I had to change. So I did. Since then, Paulus has made a real effort to kind of cleanse himself of the toxic attitudes he had developed as a young person in professional sports. It's been a serious shift in his life with regards to family, personal fulfillment, and of course lacrosse, namely his influence in the sport now that he is a coach. Paulus has been the head coach of the Dutch indoor lacrosse team since 2014. My goal now is, is the same as what I, you know, I've been telling the Dutch national team since I've been coaching them in, in 2014. I, and I tell my kids the same thing. I have three rules. One, have fun. <laughs> you know, if you're not having fun, then why are you playing? Right? Two, do your best, you know. And the third thing is just, you know, pick your, pick your teammates up make each other better those are my you know so as simple as the rules are from the original game 
I took a lesson from that and said, okay, whenever I coach, I have to make the rules super simple and make it easy for people to be successful. And, and that's, that's what I live for myself, right? That's how I live for myself as a coach. That's how I live for myself in my work and what I do. Of course, the life lessons learned through sport is a major theme that courses through a lot of run-along stories, and Paulus's tale is no different. One lesson he brought up is coming into our everyday interactions with awareness and analyzing them to become our best selves. All of these opportunities, all these interactions, all these things that I interact with every day are all opportunities for me to learn and to get better and to learn how to analyze that and figure out what that means for me, right? And that's something that I learned as an athlete. You know, you have to go, you have to study your opponent, you have to study your plays, you have to know what you know and then know what you don't know and go into that event and see who does it the best that day, that moment. Right. And so that's a life lesson that I've carried with me from sport ever since. He also emphasized getting outside of yourself and approaching your circumstances, whatever it may be, with a kind of clarity and calmness as best as you can manage. Because coming into those situations with that vibe within yourself encourages peace and positivity, which, of course, influences others in an uplifting way. Kind of adds another dimension to the whole being your best self idea. You want to be contributing to and emboldening a nice flow of things rather than disrupting or halting it. If we can come into things and interact with things and stay calm, it increases our resolve to manage those things and to find success in different ways. And so that's what I do. I do, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that I don't get fired up as a coach, <laughs> you know, or I have my moments when I'm yelling a little bit here and there because I want to win too, right? I want to do my best. I want to see the best for my players, right? But I also want to lift them up so that they can be the best that they can be and make them the best teammate for each other. Just like for my kids, I want them to be the best brothers and sisters to each other, you know. Mm-hmm. I want them to be the best for each other because they want to do it for each other, for community, for family, for something bigger than themselves. And that was kind of the, the thing that I learned in my space when I, when I was too focused on myself. And finally, who, athlete or not, doesn't love a good reflection on the benefits of failure? Just like today, every day, there's these occasional losses or failures or things that we, we hold on to, like, oh, I wish that could have been better. Well, that's a learning opportunity. You know, if we, if we focus on those things too long, they'll, they'll turn into illness, they'll turn into pain, they'll turn, turn into anger and resentment and frustration to others. And, and that's not a good way to live. You know, the better way to live is to be calm, be peaceful, be thoughtful, you know, and things will come and flow and and be part of that flow, you know. Right now, Paulus is also getting his PhD at Syracuse, where his research is centered on indigenous imagery in contemporary film. In January, he was appointed as the first head of the university ombuds office. In this role, Paulus serves the campus community as a neutral, independent, informal, and confidential resource for faculty, staff, and graduate students who are seeking assistance to answer questions and resolve concerns. So, it's kind of perfect for him. 
you know, I'm designing this office. No one knows what this office could be or should be. I'm developing it for everybody. And part of it is helping people reframe their understanding of the world, right? And understanding that we all are all responsible for every action and interaction that we experience. We are all responsible for them, right? And we play a role. We want to take credit for every success we have every time we win we want to take all the credit for ourselves but when it's a failure we want to blame everybody else but ourselves Mm. and when we can (laughs) shift that right and make a shift and say okay this didn't go the way i had planned what role did i play in this at the time of this conversation palace was gearing up for the world lacrosse championships with the dutch The tournament is going on right now in Canada, and the role of Native communities in the sport continues to be a big thing, even if it shows itself in little ways. One of the coolest things I'm really excited about is that the Indigenous community from there, the Squamish, uh, their their nation is located in North Vancouver. We're doing an event with them on actually this Friday. So in five days, the Squamish nation will welcome the Dutch and our team in a ceremonial way to their lands. To all the athletes listening that are getting ready to hang them up, or to the recently retired, Paulus stress attacking new passions in the same way you did your sport. Find things that you have a passion for or an interest in and put that same level of commitment, training, and exercise into those other passions. You'd be surprised what shows up. And simply taking the time to practice gratitude. You know, I, I grieve the loss of my career like I grieve the loss of my mom. I grieve the loss of my career like I loved one. Mm. And that was that was hard. And there's there's a lot of change that comes with that. I had to find the little things. One little thing. All it takes is one glimmer of something to be thankful for. Focus on those things one at a time. This story started off with a conversation about not of the material world entities. And that's also how it's going to come to a close. We all have a light, you know, and that spirit shines bright. It shines bright and, and people love to see it. And as athletes, they actually tune in on the TV to watch that light shine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get out of that, uh, that bright, shiny light of people putting that light on you. But what they're really watching is your spirit how bright that spirit and that light shines, that's what they're engaging with. And that doesn't end when you're not no longer running around on the field. It stays with you. You still carry that light everywhere you go. Let it shine. Sports are self-serving in a lot of ways, whether that's attention, money, pride, accolades. I'm not going to try to get around that fact. Those motivations and those effects can make retirement especially hard. These elements of sport and why people play sport aren't going to go away, and there's a ton of reasons they really shouldn't. Considering we commit ourselves to sport in the ways that we do, maybe there's something to be said for tying yourself, your involvement, your role, to a bigger meaning. Bigger meaning, I, I know it sounds like religious dog whistling, and sure, for some, a god is that greater purpose. Maybe, though, it's the advancement of women in sport. 
Maybe it's doing your school proud, setting a standard for those who come after you. Maybe it's a few different ones all at once. This linkage to, quote, more than you comes with an interconnectedness, which is kind of cool. And it can also help to give a clear answer to the question of why, when things might not be going all the ways you'd want them to. And when you connect yourself and your experiences to something bigger, whatever that means, things ending may not be as much of a death. Instead, that experience that's coming to a close becomes one of just many ways you strive to honor what's higher than you. Thank you to Neil Paulus for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. We hope to see you next time.